That, of course, is the intro song to our new podcast. It was either this or say hello, Taylor. <laughs> hello. Thank you so much for um, uh, humming our theme song. Today. Well, you know, Taylor, here's the thing. I have been gotten caught up in a lot of copyright issues lately. I've gotten sued by the NBA yeah, and by yeah. Netflix for using the last dance in um, a sermon recently. Yeah. So I'm trying to see if that machine is smart enough to pick up my tone deaf signature on an intro song since we can't download one for free without getting in ourselves in a little uh, bit of litigation. Okay. So maybe different than the way I would have gone, which is like to try to not get sued again. You leaned into trying to get well, sued. Well, I don't think they can sue me for singing the Game of Thrones no, intro song. So. What do we so. want our intro song to be? I got to try and fire, find a way to pirate it. I don't know. Maybe um, we need to do an acapella and record it professionally. You think Jamie would be up for that? Yeah, definitely. Jamie would definitely be up let's, for that. Let's put that on the staff meeting for agenda tomorrow. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, welcome to It Was Either This or a podcast name we'll explain later in the episode. We're your hosts, Rob Bell and Nadia Boltz Weber. <laughs> Weber Grill. Just kidding. I'm Josh Carney. This is Taylor Post. This is a church project, so we got to be careful what we say here. Yeah, that's true. But it's COVID, and we're all looking for something to do. So I said, hey, Taylor, mm-hmm. we're great. People would love to hear us talk. Very true. Let's do a podcast. <laughs> so uh, what do you think people can expect on this podcast, which is going to be called It Was Either This or... Um, I think they can expect to hear us talking about different things. Some things have to do with church. Things have to do with culture. Culture. You're a great cultural analysis. Well, is I, there a job for somebody just to do that? I could uh, maybe like write for a magazine. You or could something work for like TMZ. That. For TMZ, you're above that though. That I, I consider them kind of like the newsstand article yeah. inquirer of. Yeah. You could work for People. Ooh, oh my yeah, gosh! You're like what a top-notch a cultural. Connoisseur and critic, and I mean that in the best way possible. I I, pre- I feel like it's a compliment. You're yeah. my go-to for um, kind of cultural information, stopgap, help me figure it out. Wow, that is so nice. Well, you, you've done me a great. You saved me a lot of pain in preaching <laughs> over the years. Um, yeah, I would love to write for People Magazine. Should I contact them? I think you just start submitting stuff on okay. a blog, okay. a UBC blog. <laughs> Use your entries <laughs> as celebrity analysis. Okay, the other thing they can expect is a little bit of religion probably yeah some bible stuff yeah. we're gonna have a repeating segment in the beginning called text of terror yeah and then um of course you and i both love lots of things sports the nba the nba that's true um, i may not love it for much longer but we'll talk about yeah. that at the end of this episode <laughs> okay we're three minutes in and we've wasted your life let's get to it um the name of this podcast is called it is it was either this or and we're gonna we're gonna name each episode according to what the it was this or. Yeah. And this one is gonna be called it was either this or a TikTok account. A TikTok channel. A TikTok channel. Was that it? I think it's a TikTok account. TikTok account. I mean, I actually think Kieran's recommendation was it was either this or a TikTok. A TikTok. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, we let's give them the backstory here because okay. um, uh, I I had my feelings hurt a little bit. On that, well, the week before, yep. we were in staff. We meeting. were in staff meeting, and Josh had uh, suggested that he might get a TikTok. I think like a UBC TikTok, right? No, 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 a me oh, TikTok, a personal TikTok. Because okay. what had happened is I read that article about those gir- Baylor girls who allegedly were making all kinds of money. Yes, <laughs> and again, this is the thing. Uh, so Josh is talking about Brooklyn and Bailey, who 
have a TikTok. Who they're like social media famous, but they have been since they were nine years old because of their it's, mom. It's never too late to start. <laughs> yes, I suppose that's true. And so Josh said, I think I'm going to get a TikTok, which I'm not against for the record. But Kieran, one of our youth pastors, and I, and I brought, I made that suggestion at the end of staff meeting, looking for help from you guys. Like, <laughs> what should I do? What should be my shtick? You were looking for help. Yeah, well, I obviously I'm not going to be a singer, okay? Okay. I think right. I think people errantly misjudge my dance ability, but we ruled that out. Okay. So I needed some ideas for like, you know, what I going to be a clothes changer guy or yeah. what was going to be my thing. What's your, your your special TikTok thing? And Kieran said, "Josh, you cannot get a TikTok. You have too much boomer energy." Well, first, Jamie Jamie had said, "I'm scared for you." No. <laughs> and what he what he meant was he thought I would put TikTok videos out there and just get crucified by public opinion um, because I'm, I'm not self-aware and I'm search, certainly culturally um, uneducated, maybe. Well. And I think he was thinking I would embarrass myself and as a three and probably especially prone to the kind of criticism. Is there comments on TikTok? How would I even get my feelings hurt? Yes, there are comments on TikTok. Oh, so people could write nasty things. And it's the Gen Zers. They'll really come for you. Uh, well, we're going to talk about them. We are. Yeah, we are. Um, and so um, then Kieran said, you know, in his charming British yeah. Welsh accent, mm-hmm. I really sent some boomer energy coming from you, mm-hmm. which I was offended by that a little bit. Here's why. It's debatable that I'm even a millennial. I might right. not even be Gen X. Right, yeah, I know. And yet he skipped right over that one and went straight to boomer energy. Yeah, yeah, he did. I think it's the dadness of it all more than anything else. Like, I think he meant, like, you're a dad. So. Yeah, but, like, I, okay, I can, like, right now I have on a polo shirt because I'm going to court today for foster kid stuff. Okay. But, like, I wear T-shirts and Shorts, and I've stopped wearing cargo shorts. I've slowly bled them from my wardrobe because so many people have made uh, condescending comments about it. I don't get it. I'm pro cargo shorts. I want to be on the record very early in our podcast. Yeah, okay, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna wear some cargo shorts later today. You should. And like, I've got a minivan, and now I've got a 12 passenger van. But I had Mm. to get those things for the welfare of the children. Right. Yeah. So I don't understand what's boomerish about my energy. Well, and for the record, there are. There are dads on TikTok. There are boomers on TikTok. So um, I don't quite understand the objection, except Jamie's objection does seem fair, that it could be a place of injury for you, so you should be careful. Emotionally. Yeah, emotionally. Because I'm a fit fiddle when it comes to dance moves. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no questions about the dancing. Um, So this, though, has spurned a very um, interesting kind of coincidental, timely research endeavor in my life. Yeah. Which has been the consumption of the show The Politician. Oh my gosh, yes. Which you've seen already. Yes. I have a few episodes left of the second season. Let me go on the record here since this is a church podcast. I can in no way recommend that you watch this. No. No. It's not horrible. It's not Game of Thrones. Well, it's morally ambiguous to say the very least. Well, and I think, you know, like Game of Thrones is is fantasy. So that's wholesale terrible. But like... This is kind of like, oh my gosh, people really might be this way. But it is also kind of fantasy. It's like not quite this world. You know, Lindsay gave the oh. best description. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this. Yeah, 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 you did. That it's um, Aaron, Sor- Aaron Sorkin writes a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. It has that beat and that pace, uh-huh. but it's got kind of the the dark humor. Um, it, it's, it's very entertaining in terms of writing if you care about that. Yeah. It's like Gilmore Girls 
Yeah. For for Gen Z. Yeah. Which this is what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So, um, part of my uncomfortableness in the show is realizing this is really the worldview of some human beings out there. And granted, it's it's hyperbolized. Is that a word? Yeah. Hyperbolic. Yeah. But um, well, I'll just get right to it. We've talked. Their sexual ethics are very different than mine. Certainly. Um, and also uh, their um, their politics. Now, I think I'm amenable to millennial politics. Sure. Um, and also maybe a little bit like um, the the really salient scene is for me when um, the uh, the the mother of the Gen Z girl mm-hmm. woman. She's 22, I guess. 21. I don't know how old she is in the show. She has to, she can vote. She can volunteer for a campaign. I think she's like I think she's like 18 or 19. She's very yeah, young. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's she's in the car with Judith Light, who's like the the candidate representing, I guess, the the boomers, right? Yeah. And has been the state senator in New York for a long time. And she says to them, as they're clearly not getting it, that my daughter doesn't care if there's a good economy, right? She, or if she gets a great house, what she cares about is the environment that yeah. she has a world to live in that the world stays healthy. and i just thought that was poignant because i'm like that that is i think incomprehensible for most of gen x and the boomers not that um we want a good environment right but that but that you might prioritize something yeah, that i would dispense of my own kind of freedom and this mm-hmm. luxury for mm-hmm. that goal right i think that was new yeah yeah which i I do find very interesting because it seems so obvious in my interaction with like younger millennials. So I guess we should cards on the table. Josh is like a Gen X millennial cusp situation. I'm the cusp of the cusp. Can I tell you why? Yeah. So I was born in 81, which is the year. Okay. Um, I was born on July 23rd, which is also the, the Leo cancer line for okay. astrology. Yeah. And it's almost the middle month, right? June, yeah. July. Right. So I'm considering myself, I am the, um, what do you call that? The prime meridian or whatever of generations. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You're the, what's that line you're right called? There. I don't know. Right. The one right in the middle. Prime well, meridian, I think. Yeah. It's in like in England. It's where uh, you separate time zones or something, or maybe mm. the, the day starts over. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I'm that for generations. So I could go either way. And then I am an older millennial, I think is what, my technical. 84? 87. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's older ish. Yeah. Um, I'm solidly a millennial, though. There's no questions about it. Yeah. Do you like that? Some people don't want to be millennials. Uh, yeah. I I have a lot of contrariness inside of me. And so to be a part of a group that people like to be say bad things about, for me, is great. I'm very into it. Oh, you like that you want to kind of entrench as your eight? Yes. Yeah. Well, well I, I think my four. Okay. Um. There's some Enneagram talk for yeah, you. Sorry. Um, Taylor's a two for the new listener. She mm-hmm. doesn't know she regresses to eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She moves to four in health. Okay, but I don't like the word health. We are getting off track. Yeah. Uh, but I prefer stability. Instability. I don't think it's always healthy. No. Um. Anyways, all of that to say, I have interacted a lot with, I spent some time teaching public school and then working at a college. I've interacted a lot with younger millennials and Gen Z. And it is so obvious to me, like that scene was not a surprise to me. Because Which scene? the scene in the car. Oh, yeah. Okay. Where she's saying, my daughter doesn't care about those things. It is so, they really do care about the environment more than 
anything else and more than they would care about having a nice house or a nice car yeah and it's not just that it's the environment's example but they're they're really like their causes are a much deeper part of their identity than they are i think for at least me yeah i think for gen x and baby boomers yes yeah i think in their some causes aren't hobbies for them i think in some ways they are a more communal generation than like maybe gen x and baby boomers are um because they they it's they're still thinking about themselves but they're also thinking about others as opposed to like just thinking about like what is best for me you know what i was thinking about the other day um, I have this theory that America in every way is 200 years behind Europe culturally, maybe a hundred, maybe yeah. it's, it's accelerating the difference. The gap's getting smaller because of the internet and the proliferation of information. But sure. we were like on that trajectory for a long time in terms of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're getting there religiously. We're almost post Christendom kind of culture. Yeah. Um, we're in the same thing you see, like it's going to be the high church and the free church and kind of everything else denominationally is going to die in the middle sure. and blah, blah, blah. We've seen this. I think also I, it was very strange to me when I took German in high school. Okay. And I remember our teacher explaining that a lot of children, well, young adults now, mm-hmm. were living with their parents because it wasn't an affordable to get housing. Yeah. And you would just live with your parents and kind of keep houses and generations because, and I thought, my goodness, that's yeah. where we're heading. I saw an article the other day that said something like, it was a crazy number, something like 52% of millennials and gen zers are living with their parents which which is the highest number since the great depression in the 20s so um i want to do this i wanted to give us just a little bit of data and anybody can do their own research and come up with this um i found this article and first of all i just want to point this out about gen z so what's the what's the gen z they're like 23 and on down 23 and under yeah okay this is just first it notes that the the oldest among gen z were two years old when columbine happened Okay. okay. School was never a safe haven for them. Many had just started kindergarten days before 9 11. Wow. Terrorism and war haven't been just threats for them, but it's like been a real thing. Yeah. And then um, most of Gen Z hadn't made it out of grade school before they experienced the Great Recession, which had the highest unemployment since the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, so those are three pretty substantial worldview shaping. Mm-hmm. things that have happened in their lifetime. Yeah. Um, and then kind of later in the article to stress the five points that it really impacts, it says they are stress drivers. They are big plans, low energy. They are authentic activists. That was kind of our thing we were saying before. Yeah. They're carefree constituents and they're secluded perfectionists. Now you can't paint an entire generation with a paintbrush, but right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I wonder how that's different than millennials. How does that feel different to you? Um, I'm, I think what, what big plans, low energy seems very interesting. It also seems different. I do feel like the criticism that millennials often get from Gen Z is that we are sort of um, complacent and like that we're like, you know, they make fun of us for like liking Harry Potter or Wait, like they don't like Harry Potter. No, I don't think they don't. Li- it's not that they don't like Harry Potter, but I think it's like, you know, it's like so I'm. 33 why don't I know my age I'm 33 um and I still love Harry Potter and I read it a lot I listen to podcasts about it um but like I'm 33 and it is a book that was written for like young adults do you know what I mean like for yeah so we get made of fun of liking literature that's 
Yeah, it's like not exactly age appropriate because it's like comforting and comfortable. I would make I could argue for days with anyone about why Harry Potter is appropriate for adults, yeah, but I'm ready to take that down. Okay. <laughs> but um, they don't, you know, they're like, why don't you challenge yourself? And then also like they can't make phone calls, like they can't call the electric company to get their bill figured and out. And they can't drive cars. And they can't drive cars, a bunch of them. That is really true. Um, And so I think, you know, the focus is in different places. And uh, millennials obviously are known as being activists as well, but um, in different ways, I think. Well, uh, something interesting about me, going back to the ambiguity of the prime meridian of my cultural shift. Sure. Some people have um, said that, and you might be the tail end of this, I don't know. That the uh, they call the Zennials, right? That's the the X from Gen X and the Millennials. Yeah. Because, and I do think this is significant. We started in an analog world and we came to age in a digital world. Yeah. So, like, I remember my sophomore year, I checked out a laptop from Computer Village, mm-hmm. and was getting Wi-Fi wirelessly from an airport hub down in the first floor of my townhouse, mm-hmm. and just thinking I was like in Back to the Future. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was, I, I remember it was Lycos, it was Yahoo, it was Google, oh, wow. it was Webcrawler, all of that. Of course, Windows 95 was very vivid in my memory when they had the Start Me Up song. Yeah. So that all, you know, that all happened. Um, Apple became a big deal, Microsoft, Oracle, um, that's a lesser known kind of major backbone of the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, yeah, and I, you know, I, even like I was 25, 24 when YouTube blew up. Yeah. Um, and then Facebook, I was in seminary, so I was about the same age. But that's really millennial stuff right there. It was, yeah, Facebook, you were in seminary? Yeah, I got, well, I got my account in 06. Okay. Yeah, I got my account in the fall of, I got my account in the fall of 05. I was a freshman in college. Um, wow. It's crazy to think about. Well, and I, I've shared this in a sermon before, but um, we look for these cultural markers to make sense of our, our times. Right. So whatever I was, again, the middle, um, my senior year of my mar- marketing capstone class, our professor very astutely walked us through kind of the world we were going to try and navigate. He said, there are four things that have happened in your lifetime that are going to change what happens. And he, I think he was more or less right about it. The first was the fall of Berlin, Berlin Wall. Yeah. The second one, which was kind of the bookends of this mysterious period of the 90s, was 9-11. Mm-hmm. So that was culturally, politically. And then the two forces that changed the world in between there were the internet which we just acknowledged sure and the other one was postmodernism, mm-hmm. which i have thought in watching this show the politician yeah we are seeing um what like the silent generation my mom and other people were very concerned about when they had i think kind of cursory understandings of what postmodern is is that everybody has their own truths there's tribalism yeah it does feel a little bit that way to me now and we feel that in our politics too yes certainly and I do, and I do think that a large portion of Gen Zers would say that the idea that everyone has their own truths is appealing to them, or that they think that's true. Yeah, I do think it'll be interesting because, and in, in, everybody's has to deal with this. You get to a point where um, you have to de- deal with the deficiencies of your worldview. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it changes, but it means you have to ante up. I think if you're a healthy person, yeah, I do wonder if there's going to be a moment of reckoning collectively for them, millennials, myself, where it's like we need to all collectively be able to get behind a version of truth to to get some movement. Yeah, uh, I think that is maybe a thing we are coming up on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you that's, know. A, that's a sly reference to the election, <laughs> yes. which we, we have to keep out of here if it's going to be under the UBC umbrella. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
but yes, the idea that um, the that, that your version of truth might be compromised a little bit, so to work together for something that is better for everyone. I, I I obviously am on board with that, and I think that it is it's so interesting when combined with like the activism of Gen Z that it's like they are on board with working together for some, like you know to save the environment and to make sure that the world is a safe place where people can live in twenty years, and uh, and yeah, if they all have their own truth, then it's like you know you can't you can't just alone decide how you're going to make the environment healthy again. You have to listen to other people in doing that. Um, I was trying to find this. Uh, this is related, but different. Um, I, I'm going to put a pin in that for now. Okay. Um, yes. A salient point. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm trying to pivot here without talking about the election. Right, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to... Uh, fun fact, I'd mentioned Oracle. I think I saw on the news that TikTok, you know, um, they're trying to get it out of the hands of China, at yeah. least in the state side, that they spurned Microsoft, but that there was conversations with Oracle, who I just mentioned. Oh, that that's might, so interesting. Might end up buying them. So that would be a resurgence of relevance for them. Yeah. I have a friend who works for TikTok. Oh, and, and the it, state's here? Yeah, in Chicago. Do, She's, um, does she feel like her data thing. is being stolen by China? No, okay. she doesn't feel that way. Uh, I, w- I always wonder what kind of data they can steal, anyways. Like yeah, my, my Google searches. I don't have a TikTok account. They, they so must I don't get know. really frustrated by my Zillow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... this guy has no life. <laughs> this guy searches Zillow every night. Um, you know, then like here's one other thing I'll say, and maybe if we have a youth parent tuned in here, this would be helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like when when generations kind of fight each other, it's always in the abstract. But then you think about the ones you know. Let me just say, I love our youth kids. Yeah. I think they're dynamite individuals. If that's Gen Z. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. They're great. I got hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, and that's the silly thing about, like, generational infighting anyways is, like, like you said earlier, you can't paint whole generations of people with broad brushes. Like, I know, obviously, I know lots of Gen Xers who are, are really great. And I know lots of boomers who are really great. And I obviously know lots of millennials who I think are really great. And so, you know, stereotypes are helpful and that there is like a nugget of truth in them. But like, you know, the idea that our, yeah, like you said, our youth kids are really great. And if they are the, the future, which ultimately they are, that is exciting to me because I think they're really cool. What a bunch of winners. Truly. Champions for the Lord. Um... All right. Now we're going to do a little portion called Text of Terror. Text of Terror. Whew. Okay. So uh, here's how I'm going to frame this. Um, we, we could spend years doing this just with Old Testament texts. Yeah. From the Hebrew Bible. But I have heard several people recently talk about the state of affairs in the world. And these are like credible theological people. Okay. Insinuate that they feel like what we might be experiencing is a form of judgment. Now, I always kind of spurn those comments. From, I think of like. From God. Yeah. Okay. I think of like Pat Robertson or, um, well, Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people kind of offering commentary. Are you on, afraid of Jerry Falwell? No, I just think. <laughs> my, my, my. Well, the turntables. Um, 
like offering commentary on the things happening in the world because of you know pick your any number of issues that right. they seem morally wrong. But these are like left leaning friends. Okay. So um, I want to deal with this notion of the judgment of God, right? And I wanted to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Okay. Now here's why. Um, we can often get ourselves off the hook biblically by saying that was Old Testament, that was Old Covenant. Yeah. Um, it's not covered in grace. There's a grace dispensation. Yeah. Dispensation dispensation if you think that way yeah um you're kind of out of luck though theologically because we're well into acts now jesus has came and went mm-hmm. uh the thing's been atoned for to speak theologically the spirit's here mm-hmm. and um man these two get hammered for lying about a, a, a real estate deal yeah yeah are, should we are we gonna read the text um, I think that we should challenge people to hit pause and read the text on their own. Okay. Because people are biblically illiterate. They need to do their research. <laughs> Acts 5 is where you'll find it. Yeah. So tell the story, though. I can't tell the story off the top. Well, of my head. I should have read this before I did it. I think there's a sale of stuff, and then people are giving money to the new community in Jerusalem, and they give money, but they lie about how much they gave. Yeah. And then God strikes them dead. Dead. So God strikes them dead. Yeah, that's which we just don't see a bunch of in the New Testament. A lot of like people just being struck dead. Yeah. So what do you do with that? How do you how do you navigate? I tried to preach it once and I couldn't. You did? Yeah, I did a series years ago in the summer called Your D Things the Lectionary Wouldn't Tell Me. Okay. And I picked texts that never came up. That's good. That's a good idea. Well, it was really hard because I did like yeah. Elijah and the children getting mauled by bears for making fun of them for being bald. And I did right. Ananias and Sapphira. And like after a while, I'm like, yeah. And it's just hermeneutical gymnastics. This is where yeah. I'm envious of the Calvinists because they're just like, yeah, some yeah. lives matter. Oh, gosh. But what a way to live your life, you know? <laughs> um. So how do you, I mean, what do you, do you think that, um, and this is why I brought up the thing about judgment. Does God really judge people the world occasionally and bring wrath and fire like that? What a great question. Um, I mean, it certainly seems true to me that that's not, that's not happening now. I mean, this is right. This is my opinions or whatever. That God's not judging the world. Um, No, not maybe that not God's not judging the world, but that the way that God judgment in the world appears in the world or interacts with the world is not through like an immediate like hey um this piece of land is worth twenty thousand dollars and someone's like it's actually worth 10 and then that person dies oh yeah that's not really happening right now but you could like so you could imagine a scenario where um if we're gonna let's just think about it atheologically for a second okay Okay. Mm -hmm. somebody like um there was a guy a few years ago that ran a marathon Okay. So how can you do that unless you're like fit as a fiddle, right? Sure. Uh, finishes the race, falls over and dies. Okay. Um, so you, you could imagine somebody trying to make sense of that. And if in a worldview that is different and um, without the, the meanderings of the Enlightenment, think, wow, I wonder what kind of sin was in his life. That the only conceivable explanation for somebody like that to keel over and die is that the judgment. That must have been really bad. Yeah, but I mean, I guess you could. But then, what do you do with like people who are doing really bad things and not dying? Yes. You know, like how do you? That's why I'm very reluctant to to make the judgment that is God's judgment. Yeah. How would we ever know? 
Well, yeah. Well, there's also that. I, I, yeah, and I do think it's like, you know, I guess, you know, pre-enlightenment or whatever, you can think things like that. But at some point, we're not we're not pre-enlightened. So how do you, how do you deal with the Anna, Ananias and Sapphira text? What do you say about it? Um, <clears throat> is the theological move to say, yes, that was God's judgment, that could happen again, and we never know, we'll know if it is? Yeah, I, I do think for me, I am always hesitant to say... Like, um, that I know for sure. It's the same. Like, how can we know whether or not this is God's judgment? So I hesitate to say, like, yes, that is God's judgment. And I hesitate to say, no, that is not God's judgment as well. Um, I I don't like the idea that that's the way that God interacts with people and the world. But it turns out I don't like a lot of things that are true, you know? So um, it's like hell. Yeah. Exactly. I don't, I don't love hell. No. But wouldn't that kind of be the ultimate form of judgment? Yes, definitely. Is it how I, you know, do I love the idea that that is how God judges things? Also, no. But do I believe in a God that is larger than me that I don't understand? Yes. All right. So I just think, um, I mean, you know, for me, it's like I read this text and probably I think to myself, Maybe they'd eaten something poisonous and <laughs> they just died and it happened to be at this time. And so you can use it to make this point. But well, that's interesting, you know, because if you read C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, that's mm-hmm. for me. One of the takeaways is g- God is going to use the natural to pull off the supernatural. Right. Are the optics of the supernatural. Right. So that could be biologically what did happen. They ate berries. Right. Right. But then how do you make sense of the, the providence of God in that moment? Did God have them eat the berries so that they, you know. Yeah. Or did people retrospectively have to make sense of their death? Um, and, and instead of is... instead of saying, yeah, they ate berries and died, they said, well, you had the yeah the money issue. Yeah, we knew these people were people who were using their finances in bad ways. Yeah. I would self-proclaim to have a high view of scripture, but I do take the documentary hypothesis series, a series, you know, so the, the kind of this idea that um, authors bring intent to theological moments. Yeah. Um, and there are some of my right-leaning friends that would find that offensive and say that's not taking scripture seriously. But you do have authorship questions, too, about the text. And- yeah. Well, and I think, so this all also makes me think of, like, the Barbara Brown Taylor take on uh, the feeding of the 5,000, right? Which is mm-hmm. potentially that, like, yes, Jesus blesses the bread. Yes, there are loaves and there's fish and they get handed out. But that really the miracle of what happened is that people shared the things that they brought. And that's how everyone got fed. And so that would, I mean, I think there are people who would say that's a low view of scripture to think that it's not just like that this bread and this fit, that this, these loaves of bread and these fish are the things that fed everyone. But also it's like, uh, yeah, it's a, isn't that a more beautiful picture that it's the sharing that was the miracle and that is how everyone got fed. So I don't know. I think it's. I think it's a different, I think that there are different ways to look at something and see truth in it, you know? Ooh, hmm. wow, how, what a Gen Z of me what a ID. Gen, and there we are, the Gen <laughs> Z hermeneutic. Yeah. Okay, let's um, now turn to the NBA because we're already at 31 and a half minutes. Ooh, my gosh. Let's start here. Okay. You love the Dallas Mavericks. With my whole entire heart. I love the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes. I'm going to be a little bit humble here and say I don't love the Bucks as much as you love the Mavericks. Okay. Because I, the the Bucks are like my fourth team. 
Yeah. I've got the Packers. I've got the Badgers of both stripes. Right. I've got, then I think, the Bucks. Yeah, the Mavs are my first te- They are my okay. favorite professional so, sports um, team. The, the season ended for you in the first round of the playoffs. It did. Um, I, I will toot my own horn. I did an interview with um, Elliot Cry back in yes. October about the I NBA. I listened to that, yeah. And I had said, what do you think? The Mavs 6-7 seed in the West talk extensively about Doncic and Trey Young. Yeah. About how they are the real deal sophomores. Yes. And um, with the addition of Porzingis, thought they're they're close. Yeah. So do you, do you count their exit as a win thinking, gosh, we really – Showed up. Doncic had an iconic moment with his game. Was it three, four? Buzzer? Uh-huh. Three. We, we got two games from the Clippers. We do. We make an off-season acquisition. We're going to come back as a three seed and make a run. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I count this off-season as a win. It, what a strange off-season. I mean, what a strange, like, season. Do you know what I mean? That, like, being in the bubble and having the big gap and all of that stuff. But, um I mean, the Clippers looked good. The series was good. There was no time when I ever thought, like, man, we are just getting our, like, butts handed to us. Um, Especially, like, right now, Kawhi's insane. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like you can do anything and he can do anything right now, it just seems, you know? Yeah. Denver won last night, though. Did you see that? Yes. The Sunday game seven. Yes, I did see that. Came back from 19. Denver... Also, is like, well, first of all, I saw a lot of people saying, like, so no one should ever get up 3-1 on Denver because it'll just make them mad. They keep using that picture of Michael Jordan saying, like, and then it became personal to me um, from the last dance, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, but all of that to say, uh, yeah, I think that we were really wandering in the desert a little bit um, post-2011, and... Uh, so it was, I mean, it's just, Doncic is so exciting. Yeah, there's just got to be so much hope in Dallas. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And KP, too, I mean, you know, I go back and forth on him. He's not always. That's a tough injury to have your career be the same after. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and so it doesn't always feel, you can't always count on him to produce in the way that you can always count on Luka to produce. Well, and I feel like KP will probably, he's going to have a few nights of the year where he's, got 35 points and yeah. that, that can really help yes absolutely so here's my question if they could acquire one player in the offseason realistically they're not gonna get lebron right right uh, well there's talk about but yeah we'll, we'll save that but like first of all what what player do they need um and then who would you hope they would get because uh, what is don a shooting guard yeah and Perzingis no. is a power forward right well don is a shooting guard but they, they have him it's this new breed handling of... Handling the ball a lot. Right. Um, well, Giannis brings the ball up court a lot now. Yeah. So it's just their style. I mean, court. right. Uh, he's a, he's so, a true two, though, is the point. So, yeah. Yeah. So what so, do you guys need? A defender? Do you need a center? Do you need a point guard? Do you need a wing? Yeah. I mean, I feel... You know, these are all my opinions. I feel that what we need is like a... Well, we need a lot of help on defense, but we probably need a true center, like somebody, like a real big man. And I don't know. I keep going back and forth on who it could be. Because also other people say that what we need is like a wing or something like that. And so I go back and forth on who it could be. Obviously, the thing that 
Josh doesn't want to say out loud is that like I there's like minor rumors that Giannis really likes Dallas. Wow. I might be perpetuating those rumors myself in my own head, and so I just I mean obviously everybody would love to have Giannis. I think he would change their entire system though. I know. I mean that's the real thing is like he would make them better, right? But I don't know. Like I think you could get more for less. Yes, I think that's definitely true. Um, yeah, more for less. Because wherever he goes, it's going to be max everything yeah. all the time. Um, and, I mean, you're right. It's like right at this point, we are mostly running a system that's built around Doncic. And so... Now, if you get rid of KP, I think Giannis makes a little more sense. Yeah. But that is like a major acquisition. That It was just the beginning of this year, right? It was last year. I was injured all what last is year. what is time? You know yeah. what I mean. Oh, it was like the middle of the last right. season, but so. he was injured for the rest of the season. Because um, I think when I went to that Bucks Dallas game, he was acquired by then. It was the end of the year. Yeah. So okay, let's turn to the Bucks. Okay, let's turn Gal, to the Bucks. Where you should be elated with the momentum, I am just slayed. <laughs> they get, got back from uh, quarantine. Yeah. And. When they played their starters, they looked marginal. They won a few. They lost a few. And then they started pulling starters because they locked up the one seed. I thought, okay. Yeah. They lost that first game to the Magic. Yeah. Then, you know, they were the first to protest that game. Yes. Which, kudos to them. Yes. Um, and then it just like like they never really came back to play. They And they left 4-1 to the Heat, who I think are better than we knew. I, yeah, I think the so, East, too. The East is going to produce an interesting finalist. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting to me, but they're going to get slaughtered by either L.A. or, well, L.A. Um, and yeah. then um, Giannis defriended or unfollowed everybody on Instagram, all yeah. his teammates. But my, my insider sports buddy from growing up said he does this every year. Right, which is an interesting thing. And maybe like a really smart. Yeah. Somebody must have given him some really smart advice when he very first started because social media and following on social media is such an interesting way that like sports media has now started like looking at those things to say like what was this person gonna do and so to just every year do a clean sweep and unfollow everyone is really smart um i do i have heard though that since their protest it's like so they led that the protest moment and stepping out of that game and that their internal sort of energy vibes could never recover. Like that was part of why the the play never recovered was because their um, their internal sort of chemistry never recovered from that moment because apparently they had different um, different ideas about how they wanted to handle that. Well, that certainly could be. I want to give the Heat credit, too, because the Heat, interestingly, we were the one team that we could not win multiple games against in the regular season. We were 1-4 and four against the Heat. Really? Which is what we turned out to be against them in the playoffs, 1-4. and four. I didn't know that. So they had our number. Um, and like I said, I think the Heat might be a little bit better than we thought they were. I've yeah. also heard some people speculate that's where Giannis is going, is to Miami. To Miami. Yeah, which isn't horrible because the Heat aren't like... Yeah. You know, you got Jimmy Butler, but it's not like L.A. or L.A. or um, here's my list of acceptable teams for Giannis that where I still will still will like him. OK. Um, number one, I'm going to go um, 
The Bucks. The Dallas Mavericks. Stay. He's going to stay there. <laughs> the Bucks, okay, okay. Then I want him to stick in Great Lakes states. Okay. So the Pistons, you know, Detroit's on Lake St. Clair, which okay. is the middle of the Great Lakes. Yeah. Or I went to Cleveland this summer. Okay. And I just fell in love with the city. It's on Lake Erie. It's beautiful. I'm reading the Rockefeller documentary right now, yes, or the, the book, the memoir. Mm-hmm. No, what do you call that? Bi- 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 biography. Titan. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh-huh. very interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to move further, I don't want him in Philly. Um, that's too far. That's East Coast. But uh-huh. if he's going to go to a major market team, which is what they all do, yeah. my first choice is Chicago, and then my second choice is New York. Oh. Any of those teams. But if he goes no. to L.A. New York, he can go to New York. The Knicks? Yeah. He would be, I, I would go to New York. But what's their owner's name? He's trash. He's bad. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's the lifestyle. It's getting to be. Although, he has a modest apartment in Milwaukee. I know, he, like, but lives with family. Also, what, he's like a Gen Zer. Yeah. He probably cares about whether yeah. or not the owner's a good person. Yeah, he's probably a better person than me. <laughs> so, we'll see. The Bucks gave him Super Max or whatever it's called. Yeah. They'll pay for it. They'll give them the best deal they can give them. But. I think the Heat would be such an interesting move, just in that, like, um, uh, obviously it's not the same team. It's a very different situation than when LeBron went there. But, like, what about the, you know, what an interesting, like, parallel that yeah. people would talk about, I think. Well, I love Chris Middleton, but he's just not a number two in the same way that Anthony Davis is a two or, yeah, you know. Anthony Davis. But what a great year it's been without the Golden State Warriors. I've just <laughs> enjoyed it so much. <laughs> Truly. Now, if the Bucks were going to go shopping, I have said, first of all, we need a shooting guard. We need a really good shooting guard who can handle the perimeter because of the way they play. Uh-huh. And nobody makes more sense to me than Clay Thompson. I just love Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson would be a lightning rod in Milwaukee. Yeah. Clay Thompson would be a lightning rod anywhere, probably. Yeah. Okay, well, we're at 42 minutes, which is more than people are going to listen to. Sure, definitely. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode.